how you would answer that question. Where do we make disciples? Uh, I hope uh, the answer to the question in your head is fairly simple and that it doesn't take too long to come to it. Uh, these are elementary teachings, but the purpose of these talks is to go a little bit deeper into them uh, so that we might answer it more faithfully and clarify our convictions in these areas. Um, where are disciples made? Uh, I wonder if you would answer that question uh, like my friends, uh, Joan and Phil. Um, Joan uh, would say, in answer to this question, oh, the nations. We make disciples in, in the nations, overseas specifically. Uh, I served alongside her in a diaconate years ago in a former church, and I remember her in a ministry leaders meeting, uh, turning to Matthew chapter 28, and with a real heartfelt appeal for us to be making much more of our efforts and our resources in reaching the lost uh, cross-culturally, overseas. And by that, she meant sending missionaries to other lands. So to Joan, um, disciple-making, uh, the where of disciple-making involved going somewhere else, or at least sending someone else uh, somewhere else to do it. Uh, Phil, who served on the same diaconate, on the other hand, um, said disciple-making really wasn't so much about missions. It was about the church. He didn't like the way that Joan was using the words. Discipleship is something that uh, is something for people who've already become Christians, he would say. And the church should be focusing their efforts on putting um, on ministries that serve that purpose. So, you see the neat division, I hope, between the two views. In answer to the where question, Joan says we go somewhere else to do it. Phil says, no, 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 we do it here and we run programs to help us do it effectively. What do you think about those views? Agree? Disagree? Not sure? Well, what's good about them? Uh, we could say that Joan has a heart for the lost. That's very obvious. Uh, she wants people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. That is a wonderful thing. Um, and Phil, of course, really wants people to enjoy being with God. And he really gets the fact that if you go deeper into gospel truth, deeper into a knowledge of the Bible, then actually with that growing knowledge comes a growing love for God and a greater appreciation of the breadth and the depth of his great love and salvation. That's good. But what's not so good about these views. Well, with Joan, Joan is really interpreting Matthew 28 through a certain lens, almost through the lens of years and years and years of church tradition. She's really only heard Matthew 28 preached on mission Sundays as a call for more missionaries. What she doesn't see is that actually, when you think about the passage in its context, we are actually the nations. We're the far off people the first disciples were setting out to reach. So Joan outsources disciple-making to other nations through a misunderstanding and actually didn't really do much of it on her own, where she was. Phil, on the other hand, I think he has, he has lost the kind of biblical definition of a disciple. We looked at this in week two, uh, how words can change their meaning. And that's what I think happened in Phil's mind. He'd been using these words like discipleship all his life, but hardly knew really what they meant. And as a result, he has really little interest in helping 
to be about the personal work of disciple making in the church or even reaching out locally and globally. He doesn't have that same view that John had. And I wonder if then looking at those good things and looking at those errors were helped to see what they've done. They've basically created this kind of unbiblical dichotomy. They've each focused on one aspect of disciple making and made it exclusive to the other one. And that's wrong. And at the same time, of course, they've allowed each of those foci to be skewed. Now, what I want to say at the start of this sermon tonight is that there is a tendency among all of us as Christ learners to do the same and to locate disciple-making in one or the other in a kind of, it's just for everybody else overseas. It's what we do when we go somewhere else or we just locate it purely as a kind of inward-focused thing and forget about evangelism altogether. But I want us to uh, take a look at the diagram that we've been building layer by layer throughout this series, and you've got it on your sermon guides. Uh, we've been looking at this, and there's an obvious two-part answer to the where question in this diagram, isn't there? Um, we are to make disciples in two places. It's where the people are standing uh, in the diagram, in the domain of darkness, and that's the dark bit, funnily enough, and in the kingdom of the sun, that is the light arrow that is pointing towards the, uh, the gathering at the end. Or you could put it simply, um, we make disciples in two places, in the world and in the church. Now those are too simplistic, those terms. So we're going to look at each of those in turn and elaborate. So number one in our, in our sermon, guys, tonight is that we can make disciples. Uh, we make disciples in the world in the world, wherever we are and wherever there is darkness. Now, darkness refers not to a geographical location or geographical nation state, but really to people's spiritual state. There are 195 nations in the world, but there are only two kingdoms in God's eyes, the domain of darkness and the kingdom of the sun. And the Apostle Paul speaks of both in Colossians 1.13, a text we've looked at a couple of times in our series, and which I would encourage you to memorize. It's a very important verse. In Colossians 1.13, we read, He, Jesus, has rescued us from the, uh, God, sorry, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Now, which kingdom you, or domain you belong to depends on whether or not you believe in Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I, I, this, this is something that should be clear. That if we as uh, people who are made in the image and likeness of God choose to reject his loving rule and choose to put ourselves on his throne, rule our lives and live our lives the way we want to live their, our lives, then we belong to the domain of darkness. We're acting in a way that shows that we are not in the light of his new kingdom. But if you believe in him, if you've repented and turned away from your sin, confessing it to be wrong before God, and have trusted in Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and new life in his name, then you are transferred from that dark kingdom into the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light. And we've said it before, so I'll say it quickly. 
God sends his disciples into the darkness to rescue people from it. So we make disciples in the world. And of course, sending us his people, people being the operative word, uh, reminds us of the four Ps that we looked at a few weeks ago. How God employs his people in disciple making to move people closer to Christ. For example, Jesus said to the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, just before you think, well, Paul held a very special office. Well, he did but he's not the only one being sent. Because in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, to all believers, Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we are called out in order that we might speak out. We're rescued and we're given a purpose. We're given a job to do. And what these verses for us together make super, super clear is that wherever there is darkness, we are to be light. And the way that we shed light primarily is through speaking gospel truth, through the persevering proclamation of the word of God as the people of God in prayerful dependence of the spirit of God. So we make disciples then, everywhere we go, wherever we are. How does that challenge Joan's error? Well, I think it exposes her short-sightedness. Remember, to Joan, making disciples meant going somewhere else or sending somewhere else. But that's not what it is. It's being who you are. It's just living as someone who is already sent. You can go somewhere else to do it. And as a church family, we ought to be identifying people to go and make disciples in other areas where the darkness is thick and black. But you don't need to go somewhere else to do it. You just need to do it wherever you are. You just need to do it wherever you are living, walking, moving, interacting. So how do we do it? Let's get practical. I think in one of two ways. We talked about this briefly, but I want to elaborate slightly. We can either engage or evangelize, depending on where people are at. Remember those uh, peoples, pe the people along the, the line of the domain of darkness. Some of them are closer to the cross. Some of them are further away from the cross. Uh, so one of the things that we can do to make disciples in the world is to engage people in conversation and in friendship. Uh, statistically, people in Scotland only have a one in 50 chance of meeting a Bible-believing Christian. Think about what happens to that statistic when only one in 10 Christians actually feel confident about talking about their faith to others. Well, very often then, the first thing that we need in order to take, uh, the first thing that these people in darkness need in order to take even just one step to the right, closer towards 
believing in Jesus Christ from themselves is just to meet a Christian like you, like me. To meet a Christian who will actually talk to them about the truth. The question is, are we doing that? Are we putting ourselves into situations where we are uh, meeting with non-Christians? Um, Finn mentioned this earlier on uh, in his advice this morning and his advice to students. It's very easy to, to get yourself all caught up into a Christian bubble and never really interact with non-Christians. It's not good, that's good advice, not just for students, but for all of us. We can easily clog up our calendars, uh, create all sorts of appointments and coffee meetings and so on with people. And we can have a great time of fellowship with one another, but all the while completely dismissive of the fact that we're never making any contact with people who don't believe in Jesus, meaningful contact. How can we change that? Well, it's a very practical thing involved. It means whether you use a paper diary or iCal or whatever, it means going to the next month, okay? It means going to the next month of dates and pressing select all and then pressing delete, okay? Uh, maybe tell the people that you're gonna cancel those appointments. Um, but it means putting in opportunities, figuring out ways that you're gonna connect with people who don't know Jesus in a meaningful way and be very, very intentional about it. If we don't do that, it's just not gonna happen. Sure, the Lord will put into our place at times these wonderful kind of providential appointments with people. But we have to make an effort to be intentional about making time to spend with those who don't know Jesus. And we do it out of love. And maybe one of the other things that we need to do is do less to make that happen. Do less in church. Uh, do more with other people. For some, it might mean actually getting involved in, a, in another club. It might just mean picking up the phone, calling the two or three people that you've not been in touch with in the last six months and saying, let's go for a coffee. Uh, let's go play badminton, whatever. Let's go and chat and making an, an effort to do that. So that's what we can do with people who are far off and who are really quite unlikely to hear the gospel. But what do we do with those who we've already met and we've already started to engage? Well, we can evangelize them. It's just the kind of fancy Christian word that picks up on the fact that we speak the gospel to them. We, tell, we talk to them from the basis of our Christian worldview, pitching into all sorts of different conversations that people are having, whether it's about, I don't know, parenting or Brexit or whatever subject we offer a Christian worldview. But of course, what we're looking to do is get to that point when we are having opportunity to talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And again, this is where we went back to the four Ps already, and it's the same again. We perseveringly proclaim the word of God as the people of God scattered in prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God. That's how it works. It's actually dead simple. So let me ask you this question. If we are to make disciples, first of all, in the world, where in the world are you? Where are we? Individually, 
and collectively as a church family? Where do you want to be individually? Where do we want to be as a church family? What areas of darkness have we identified that we want to speak into, that we want to be in for, so that we might see meaningful change through the gospel? So individually, can I encourage you in the coming days to think about people in your networks or communities, people that don't know Jesus, to pray for opportunities, to engage or evangelize them. Even if you struggle to think of any particular connections, maybe make those connections. And, and I want to stress again, just that we, to recapture the value and the opportunity that hospitality provides for us. How many meals do we have in a week? Can we go for lunch with someone? Is there one night in the week that you can section off where you're just going to have your non-Christian friends around just for dinner regularly? I think God can use it with amazing effectiveness in the lives of those around us, just really simply, like he did uh, in the life of Rosaria Butterfields. Uh, she's a Christian author, and she was, by her own admission, a progressive liberal lesbian. Today, she is a believer, married to a loving husband, the author of Christian books. What did God use to engage and evangelize her? Someone that we might even be tempted to view as unreachable, or at least seriously hard to reach. A meal. And then another meal. And then another meal. And over each of these meals, there was just conversation, cordiality, making connections, building rapport, just to be friends. But of course, with the intention of sharing the gospel, and our hosts did. They talked more and more about their faith. They broke down some of the assumptions that Rosaria had about Christians and about Christianity. They were able to offer, they were able to say, no, 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 don't believe that cultural stereotype. Let me tell you what's really true about who we are and what we believe and what we think about people who are lost in their various situations. They practice the kind of hospitality that sees the home not as silos designed for undisturbed peace, but tools for the gospel. And I wonder if that's how we view our homes. I sometimes think that we make such a big deal of our living rooms to make them comfy. But maybe we should make much more of a deal of our dining rooms Maybe we hear this call to hospitality and say, I don't want people in my home. I want peace and quiet. I want my kids in bed, remote in hand, slippers on, people in my house and dishes in the sink just sounds dreadful. But it's not. I mean, wouldn't it be great if, if every member of our church family had to spend 30 minutes before bed one night doing dishes and cleaning up from a well-used table? I think those are glorious dishes. What can we do collectively? Where has God placed us as a church in the world? Well, we know that answer. We're in Edinburgh. 
What would it look like to engage Edinburgh, to engage Scotland, engage communities that are far from us and not like us? What would, it, what would, it, what would help us to do that? Think through these questions. I'd love to know your ideas. Do we need to do fewer things here? Would it help if we set more of an aspirational budget and redirected money to priority areas accordingly? I mean, what would you do with a 700,000 pound budget that we had? Have. How would you allocate it? What changes could the elders propose that would make you thrilled to be involved and even eager to give more? I'd love to know what you think about those things. And I'd love you to know that the elders are working through the book that these sermons are based on, the book called The Vine Project. We want to be doing the best we possibly can for Jesus, for his glory, for the lost, for our church family. So pray for us. How do we make disciples here in Edinburgh? How do we make disciples in our worlds? What areas of ministry and focus would thrill you? Well, the world is certainly still in darkness, and all around us there's work to do. That's why the first part of our answer to this question is, uh, the where question is, in the world. But the second part, point two, we make disciples in the church. It is both. In the local church. Now, I don't want you to think that point two contradicts point one before I even go on. In fact, I want you to see, crucially, how point two, disciple-making in the local church, drives point one, makes point one happen all the more. We make disciples in the church, in the local church, in every aspect of our life together in the kingdom of the Son. That's what we've been trying to establish as we walk through these core convictions. So we make disciples in the world for their salvation, but in the local church, in our church family here, we make disciples for one another's edification, for our building up. Now the New Testament is jam-packed full with verses that show that we gather together not just to hang out, uh, not just because we like singing or anything like that, but to help each other change to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. So we, uh, we relate, we connect, we speak, we instruct, we admonish each other, rebuke each other for our building up. For example, as Paul wrote to the Romans, the verses on screen, I myself am satisfied about you that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That's just one of many. We've looked at tons of verses already in our series that address the same. Actually, even looking at sections like 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, those passages that can seem to be quite controversial, you know, talking about prophecy and tongues and all that kind of stuff. The whole message of 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians is really, really quite simple. Paul's point is that we are all members of one body and as such should be seeking our building up by pursuing the common good. How? Through serving each other with the gifts that God has given us. In fact, because of the drive and importance of love, the, uh, chapter 13, right at the heart of his argument, all Christians should then seek one kind of gift in particular, as he says at the start of chapter 14, to speak intelligible words from God that build up those around them. That's what loving Christians do in a loving church family. 
That's what disciple-making is in the church. Now, where exactly does God ex expect us to do this? I mean, there are believers in Timbuktu, Tokyo, Torremolinos, any other T's? Uh, does God expect us to make disciples in those locations? Well, no, God, God gathers people locally, committing, even, if you like, using the word covenanting together, to exercise the responsibilities of belonging to a local church that are clearly outlined for us in the New Testament. The question is, have you committed to doing that? To being committed? To being part of the Charlotte Chapel church family and making it a place really where disciples are made? If not, why don't you go to the Connect Corner out there afterwards and ask about uh, signing up for the next membership class? We'd love to see you there. Now, if in the world we make disciples... Uh, by engaging and evangelizing people. What does this look like for those who are already in the kingdom of the Son, those who are already disciples or Christ learners? Well, we establish and build each other up. We, we build each other up by establishing one another in our faith. We speak to each other in all the ways I've outlined in order to help each other send down roots, roots of faith deep into gospel truths so that we can send up shoots and branches and grow, producing the kind of fruit that is to be expected of those who are spirit-filled and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We establish each other when we help each other, love God, grow in Christ-likeness, serve our church, and go and make more disciples. We establish one another when we come alongside each other, as we were singing about in our first song, to stabilize one another in times of doubt and trial and difficulty. There are tons of ways that we can do it. Tons of ways that the elders are encouraged to see our church family already doing this. But how can we take it up a level? Of course, we not only establish people, we can equip others to do the same. There's no doubt that... As Christians become more established in their faith, more mature in their understanding of the life that pleases God, the more they become concerned not only to move to the right themselves, but to help others move closer to maturity in Christ as well. And to be good at doing that by skilling people with the abilities to do that. You know, we can all be equipped to help people move towards Christ's likeness by teaching and encouragement and prayer. So the where question not only asks you, where are you making disciples in the world? It asks you, where are you making disciples in Charlotte Chapel? Who are you seeking to establish in their faith? Who can you equip with the necessary tools for maybe reading the Bible for themselves? Or thinking about sanctification and change by themselves? What have you learned that has just absolutely gripped your heart and filled you with joy that you can pass on. And again, this is something we can do either individually or collectively. Individually, you can do it informally on your own. You don't need us to organize anything structural for you to do it. Although there are helpful things that we do structure. You can just do it. Some people in our church have actually started doing this. You know, a group of teens or kids of people in our growth group I belong to, 
uh, decided to get together to do some Bible study, and they asked an older teenager to lead them. So they asked person A, I've not asked her permission to say this, but it was Ewan. Sorry, Ewan, I'm going to do it. I I just slipped out. I'm verbose. I'm sorry. Uh, It was Ewan. So Ewan was leading some of these kids from our growth group and just helping them understand about the Bible, right? Teaching what he has already learned, which is great. Now, where did Ewan learn to do that? Well, from Luke Gillen. I wasn't going to say Luke's name, but there, I've said it already, okay? It was Luke Gillen. Luke's been meeting up with you and, and doing a one-to-one, equipping him. It's equipping him with the tools necessary for doing a one-to-one. How did Luke get to know this? Is it okay? Yeah, oh, Barry says it's okay to say. It was Barry Sprott who's been meeting Luke Gillen to do a one-to-one to help establish him and equip him with the tools. It's, I didn't organize that. No leader in the church organized that. We didn't put on a program to organize that. I love that. I love that. Who can you do that with? Who can you ask to help equip you? And who can you equip? There is a wealth of knowledge and experience and Christian love in this church family. It is a testimony to God's grace. And it's something that we regularly thank God for. Let's spread it out. Let's help each other grow and move towards Christ. Individually and collectively. Well, really, when it comes to collectively, we've got the things on. We're putting the things on that will really help you do this. It's called growth groups. It's called young adults. Time out. Uh, Men's fellowship on a Friday. Good on you for getting stuck into the Bible. It's fantastic. Yak. Did I say yak already? Did I say yak already? I did. I've gone off piste. Yak. IF. All these different ministries were, and there are a few that we don't really talk about very much, that are happening where people are opening up the Bible with each other for building each other up. It's wonderful to see. Again, go to the Connect Corner if you're interested in joining one of these. There are spaces in all of these groups, and folks would love to have you along. What I want us to understand as we recognize this responsibility to make disciples in our church is that what it really, really takes for us is a biblical mindset. Not organization, a biblical mindset for true biblical discipleship to happen. You're going to have to want it. You're going to have to desire it. And if you don't just yet, ask God to help you do that. So, to summarize then, and before we come to a time of response, how do we summarize all of this in a sentence as we have done with the other four convictions? Well, we could say this. We make disciples in the world around us, in every square inch of the domain of darkness, through the local church, and in the local church, in every aspect of our life together. That would be the answer, an answer to the where question. As we have in previous weeks, uh, we're going to take some time to respond just now. We've got four points on screen. 
that we can think about. First of all, maybe think of one person you know in each of the four categories below of engage, evangelize, establish, and equip. Two non-Christians, two Christians. Pray about these people and ask for God to use them in your life. And even take this time to think through when are you going to meet these people and connect with them. Two, ask God to help us identify any kind of church-wide changes that would help us do the best we can in the disciple-making work he's called us to do in this world, this city, in this church. Uh, Why not walk through the different elements of the diagram that are on your sermon sheets, uh, pray through each component, and ask God to help us be aligned with his purposes. And if you're here today, you're not a Christian, why don't you take time to think about what's been said tonight? What What question might you ask a Christian friend to better help you understand the stuff that I've been talking about tonight? Let's take a few minutes in the quietness uh, and we'll bring our time to a close shortly with a prayer. So let's, uh, let's go to some response time.